2: everyone, this is the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm Alfie Reynolds and what a weekend of Champions Cup action. We have just had that and loads more to get into on the pod this week. So welcome back. I'm in studio and I've got Will Kelleher, Deputy Rugby Correspondent for
1: the Times. How are you, Will? Uh, deputy to the Rugby Correspondent, I think I was <laughs> <who's laughs> on my
3: left. Alex Lowe, all right? Hello, yeah, good, thank you. Good, good. Hot-footed it
2: from Paris From this Paris. morning, M- St- straight into the studio.
3: Minus a wallet.
2: Oh. Minus a wallet Well we'll get on to that in just a moment And also Stuart Barnes is with us as well How are you Barnsey?
4: Well I was fine until I heard about Alex's wallet Three seconds ago <laughs> Now now I'm greatly <laughs> perturbed What happened Alex?
3: It felt very much like a Stephen Jones trip to France oh, right. I carried this rucksack around And was really careful I don't know whether I just let my guard down But I stupidly put my wallet In the front pocket of the rucksack And when I when I got to the I uh, met some of the other journeys at a bar before the Harlequins game, and I went to pay, and my wallet wasn't there. Oh, wow. And I was oh, God. So I then spent half the night on the phone to American Express and Nat West. And, yeah, and my own stupid fault.
2: I feel like, as you say, Stephen Jones-esque, S, is something about European away days, particularly Champions (laughs) Cup. We need some sort of story of someone having a laptop disaster or a wallet nicked, whatever it is. So Alex was in Paris. Will, you were... Uh, uh, Leicester,
1: Leicester, yeah, the glamour tie. We'll get on to the, the whys and wherefores of Stormers bringing their B team up, but actually credit to them, they they stuck in and Andre Polo played pretty well but I didn't lose anything, I don't think or if, if I have, I haven't noticed yet up, yeah. <laughs> no. And Barnsley, you were at the wreck?
4: Yeah, I got through the perils of the Bath Christmas Market and the pickpocket warnings, um, got to the wreck and back, <laughs> I expected Bath to win but I wondered whether Ulster would pick their game up because they've got good European precedent recently and I was um, again, that's two weeks I've been to, to Bath and, and They're quietly impressive.
1: Farnsey, can I ask you, so we talk about this off-air beforehand, can you tell the listeners how many matches you've watched this weekend?
4: No, no, don't make me do that. Um, (laughs) I think I have an addiction, and like all addictions, you can't get enough of it, but it makes you sick. Um, I I always do this. I've done this since the days when my services were predominantly... uh, given to Sky as a commentator. And I just watched everything, sort of had a reputation as a rugby pig there. So in the end, I somehow managed to see uh, 11 games in their entirety. It's a great And effort. the highlights... 11. 11 full. But when you've recorded, all, always on record, because you can go back and pause. And rugby does give you breaks from which you can get to the next scrum, the next line out. And you can see a game of rugby in fifty minutes, and and that is in detail. I mean, real detail. If you want to watch a game, you can see one in forty. You get it to fifty, and you've been able to rewind, ponder, and, and use all the breaks for injuries and scrums to to keep you going.
3: So, have you got files of notes from just from this weekend alone? Twenty five pages.
4: Twenty five pages. And this morning, I was um I was reading something uh, by a novelist, and they said if you can do. 300 to 400 words a day, that's pretty good going. So I think I'm scribbling a little bit too quickly.
1: (laughs) Barsi, I've just done the maths, and I know you're speeding through some of it, but Mm. I reckon you've watched 14 and a half hours of rugby over the weekend.
4: That would be right, but I mean, the kettle's not far from the room where the TV (laughs) is. How many teas, yeah, or beers? The kettle's not far away, and by about 1.30 in the morning... I think let's open a nice little bottle of Brunello and just have a, a glass <laughs> to take the edge off. Jesus, was, how bad was that? Because by the last game, <laughs> you start to see all the errors and it really annoys you and you just pray and
1: something kicks. good. You've got to wait through. Well, it's a
2: great effort, Barnsley, anyway, to watch that many games over the weekend. So loads to get onto, as I say, anyway, on the podcast this week. We'll look back on the Champions Cup. Seven victories for English clubs, all the other action as well. And we're also going to name our God or Goddess of the Week. But first up, let's get fully into the Champions Cup. So I referenced it there, guys, but seven wins for English clubs. Better, I think, than many of us, many people would have expected. I suppose, is this... An anomaly, or do we think the Premiership is actually stronger than many of us have been giving it credit for? I think there's
1: there's something in... I think it it was awful to lose the three teams, but I think sort of repopulating those players across the other squads has meant they're all a bit thicker and deeper. So you're at Quinn's. Mm. They've now got Launchbury, who is one of their best players, Cunningham South, Joseph, two of their best players. They're adding, whereas before they would have had to put an Academy guy in or someone who's played seven to ten matches, they're putting in 60 kappa and two seriously good young players.
3: I think so, and I think Northampton Saints benefit. I think Northampton and Queen's are the, are the two clubs that have benefited the most from the from the demise of the others. Picking up most of the of the best young players from, from London Irish in, in particular. Um, Bath as well, you'd say? Bath, oh, no, Bath, yeah, no, Bath too, yeah, absolutely, yeah. no, good point. I do think there is an element in that. The concentration of players into, into a smaller number of teams has, has helped with the depth. They also edged three really tight games. Yeah. You know, Quinns were were probably a foot of, of carpet away from, from losing on Sunday night. Exeter had Henry Slade's composure to thank. Those games could have gone the other way. So I don't think you can read too much into the plain fact of seven wins out of eight. But mm. it, but it is positive and And it's no surprise that Simon Massey-Taylor was straight on social media making that point. Because... With Henry Arundel leaving the premiership and a lot, there's a lot of negativity flying around the league and they are desperate for, for positive news. They're desperate for something to to grab hold of and, and, and say look, we are you know, this is competitive, this is we are good teams here. And and this opening weekend was, was a perfect opportunity for them to at least show themselves um in the biggest competition.
1: Yeah, the the other context I suppose too was Leicester beat a second team travelling, the stormers, mm. which again we'll get on to that but it's probably early to judge it all just on one weekend like, yeah there'll probably be a flip around in some of those results next weekend like Sale might send their kids to Leinster and stuff like that but it's still it's still good effort Northampton winning at Glasgow too they put them to the sword didn't they so pretty good effort from the English clubs
2: yeah well let's run through it shall we we'll start in pool one so this saw wins for the Bulls Bordeaux beat Connacht and then that Bristol game that we mentioned Shall we start with Bristol I feel like it wouldn't be right to start with Saracens when we've got seven winners to start with the English team that lost. But that Bristol game, I mean, it's quite extraordinary, really. So they were leading 33-10. They then find themselves losing by a point going into the closing stages and managed to go through the phases and and land a drop goal. Like, I think it had Bristol fans tearing their hair out. We saw what they can do and what they've been able to do this season with ball in hand in an attacking sense but once again maybe some of the frailties
4: yeah the word I'd use for that Bristol game was fun it was great fun fun's not really one of my favorite words in the um, dictionary of rugby Um, but we did see what Bristol can do but we also saw uh, this was not, a, by any stretch of the imagination, a full Leon team, and we saw a Leon team. It was sort of epitomised by the ex-Bristolian Semi Randrandra, who wasn't in the game for a bit, seemed disinterested. Then for half an hour, he flicked the switch and was brilliant. Uh, and then they they lost a game that they'd taken complete control of. Leon aren't a great team, uh, and frankly, that was a game where had Bristol lost to an average French team who uh, weren't fully focused on this, it would have been disappointing. When, when we were talking about the English clubs uh, and 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 the other teams and how well the English did, it's not just about what happens on the pitch, it's what happens in the head. And, you know, I think we've already talked and we'll probably talk more about... People have talked about the Stormers and the side they sent out and what that meant. And and, and Leon to an extent, were another team who you know, did not send a full team out and, and they paid the price for all the brilliant rugby they played. And and you have to work that out. If you switch to that Bristol-Leon game and you play that in Leon, there's no way Bristol win with identical 23s.
3: Where you say, Barnsley, there, though, that, that they, Leon paid the price, I don't know if that's how they look at it. I think that's part of the problem at the moment with the structure of this competition. Too easy
1: to get through, is Mark,
3: Mark McCall took a full-strength Saracens to uh, altitude in Pretoria... And made the point on Wednesday or Thursday that that all teams should be required to take this competition seriously. Otherwise, why do you strive to qualify for it? But realistically, you don't have to win all your games to qualify. Only eight of the twenty-four teams don't go through to the next round. So, yeah. <clears throat> your your fo- as you said, was your focus for these is on winning home games and try and grab some bonus points away. Yeah, I mean, the Stormers
1: came and said they were trying to get one point, and they almost had it, and. There are plenty of reasons why they had to do that, but it still feels a bit unsatisfactory. Sale, I am sure, I think, are going to send a, a weak team to Leinster next week because they're looking at it and going, I don't know where we're going to get some rest. We've got big Christmas fixtures. We've got Saracens just before Christmas. And they've already picked up four or five points, haven't they? So you're looking at it and going, well, if there's one to, to lose, it doesn't matter because four of them get through. The only,
4: the only thing I'd say about that is the higher up, you are, the more the chance, if you get in the top eight, you've got a home uh, group of yeah, 16, that matter, haven't yeah. you? And if, if you look at the trend of European rugby, I think last year, uh, all eight teams won. I, I think the home teams all won their games. And generally, throughout the history of this tournament, you're looking at 75% of knockout matches won by... Home teams. When it was into the quarters, it you know it was pretty much three out of four or four out of four. You very rarely got fifty percent away wins. So Sale have picked up those points, but they're still the teams. The games you mentioned will uh, are so difficult that they could have to find another win somewhere to, to get themselves into the top two. And if they're playing away in the round of sixteen. They're going to be finding it pretty difficult. There's some powerful teams, and those teams will be uh, far fuller psychological tilt than some of them were uh, this weekend.
1: I, I suppose, bringing it back to Bristol, they've got a kind of free shot at it because they shouldn't have qualified. They only got in because London Irish went bust, and they took the eighth place, didn't they? So they've got their win. They're going to Bordeaux next and see how they get on there. And so you, can, you maybe from Bristol's perspective, they've not had the best Prem season yet, have they? They only won their first game in, far, in six. The other week. And you
2: also wonder... the momentum. Again, with the Premiership sides and them being able, if they want to, to rotate for the Champions Cup because no relegation. So a side like Bristol, for example, I know they will still be thinking top four a possibility and aiming for that. But equally, it might get to the point where they say, well, actually... Our chances of doing that in the Premiership are slim, but the Champions Cup, can we get
1: ourselves a home last 16 and see where we go from? Yeah, and sell some tickets because they would sell 20-odd thousand for that and that, that massively helps the coffers, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. interesting. Totally. Just a final one
2: on on the Bulls before we move on. You know how with the Champions Cup, we probably always think of who are the serious contenders and you think of Leinster and you think of La Rochelle and Toulouse. Do the Bulls deserve to be in that bracket of conversation? They're third in the URC at the moment. Barnsley, what do you reckon? Uh,
4: if they play all their games at Loftus, then they're going to be very hard to beat. It's it's a big question mark on the road. I saw them play some great stuff at home last year. I went, travelled down to Exeter to watch them and, and they were risible. They've got a brilliant back three. They, are, they look to me like they, they've got the gist now of coming over to Europe. I would have them as outsiders. Um, but the interesting thing for me about that game... Uh, English clubs won seven of their eight games, but if you said to me now the likeliest English winners, I would say Saracens, the one team that lost. Are still, <laughs> yeah. I mean the Bulls. The Bulls showed you also that you don't have to just play ping pong aerial tennis. The counter attack was brilliant, At and altitude it cut Sarries up. But Sarries worked worked it out, and they worked their way back into the game. And though they lost by eleven, with the players out that they had. I thought that was, in in, in some ways, quite an imp- impressive result. I can't talk too much about the performance because I only saw the highlights. But I look at that and I see 27-16 and, and the Bulls didn't get a bonus point. No, Saris didn't, but I'd trust Saracens. You know, they got Connacht next week. They'll target that for five They'll be back on the road.
2: Uh, Interpol 2, uh, victory for Bath over Ulster. to lose with a comfortable victory. Absolutely hammered Cardiff. And then that match between Rassing and Harlequin. Shall we start uh, with Bath, Barnsley? You were there at the rack. I saw in the paper today, we're recording this on a Monday, you talking about Ben Spencer having a heck of a season, isn't he?
4: To be honest, he's played like that most of the time for Bath since he left Saracens. Yeah. But Bath are winning now and teams pick on people who are in winning teams. He's also got... Finn Russell outside him who lures defenders away. And I, I think the infectious attitude Russell brings to the game is joy of playing. It's transcending Bath. And, and Spencer's quite a long-faced sort of player. He looks like he's having a good time. And, and you know, with Russell at 10, you've got to give him quick ball. And, and Spencer, if he had a weakness, I wrote today, he's very long back, slow, getting it down. Ironically, he's a brilliant uh, box-kicking scrum half. So why England ignored him, I don't know. Because he's got this pacey uh, element to his game as well, so I hold out a lot of hopes for Spencer, and, and I think Bath, and I think I must mention uh, Lee Blackett. I had a chat with him after, uh, before the game, and, and we were talking about this and that, and I, I just think he's got a he's got a great lever on the game, and I think Spencer needs someone to just help one or two aspects of his game, and we've been in times where if someone's got an aspect of a game that's not great, they don't get picked and it's used as an excuse. I want my coaches to find out the players with great talent, look at their weaknesses and sort them out in the same way Wayne Smith did for Mar Nonu all those years ago. And I, I, think Blackett, I think Blackett might just be the best attacking coach uh, in England. And I think for that reason, uh, his combination with the solidity of Johan van Graam and and the catalyst that is Russell makes Bath a very dangerous team this year.
3: I spent um, an hour or so chatting to Alfie Barbary last week who talked and joined a uh, very entertaining conversation. We talked about Lee Blackett and he worked with Lee at Wasps and obviously Alfie was really important in, in the way that Wasps played because he, he, he gets them over the gain line, he got them... Momentum, and he's you know he's buying into everything that that Bath are doing because because Lee Blackett's come and made a massive impact and just allied to a conversation that I'm sure we'll have about about um, Henry Arundel when he was weighing up the offer to come back to England or or, or to stay at Racing. Part of that con- of that decision was watching how Bath are, are playing at the moment and the impact that uh, Will Muir and Joe uh, Singer are having in that team. Both of those guys are getting a lot of ball in a lot of space. You could imagine that someone with the, the speed of Henry Arundel, were playing behind a pack that is currently is going forward and setting such a great platform, I can imagine sitting over there in Paris watching how Bath are playing. That was probably the hardest part of Henry Arundel's d- decision because he could be he could have been part of that unit. Yeah, it's, it's going to be
1: fascinating just going back on the Ben Spencer thing. We keep saying this, but what England are going to do in the 24 Six Nations in a few weeks? Because what do they do with with the scrum half 3 It'd probably be three, won't it, in the squad. And you just think, if Spencer gets ignored this time, you think there's really not many reasons why. Mm. But previously, Eddie Jones thought he wasn't very brilliant at communicating and that was one of the reasons he wasn't getting in the team. But if he plays like that consistently, he's come from the Saracen school, hasn't he? You just think he's got so many weapons. That-
4: it's not hard to get a floor of a, a, a professional sportsman and work on it. So, Spence is regarded as quiet. It honestly doesn't take a lot to make someone noisy. A thousand years ago in Bath, Richard Hill was a very quiet, taciturn guy. And we just said, you've got to shout at your forward, you've got to do stuff. And we had little drills. It, it, this was amateur rugby. and We could take quiet people and make them noisy people. It, it can be done. I find it very frustrating that so many uh, managers and coaches just say, well, he can't do that. So got to change that and and black it's showing that it can be done
2: well we mentioned henry Arundel just a moment ago that leads us on quite nicely to rassing uh rassing 28 or rassing 92 28 harlequins 31
3: alex enjoy your experience at la defense arena (laughs) yeah apart from my wallet saga yeah i I did i did um it was it felt like a throwback harlequins performance where they did everything they could to lose it and then they found a way to win it Having been, they were ten points up, eleven points down, and then came storming back to win it, and then defended their goal line ferociously r- right at the end. Defensive play that hit
2: from Will Evans at the end to dislodge yeah, the ball. Was I awesome. thought he was
3: outstanding all game. Um, caused them, you know, up against Khaleesi, caused them real problems. At the, caused Rassing real problems at, at, at the breakdown. Um, spent a lot of time watching Henry Arundel, sort of solitary out the back or out wide, watching watching Rassing. Keep it tight, really. And whenever they did go wide, it went. They went to the opposite wing. He he won one turnover and a smart kick. Otherwise, it was it was a per- peripheral figure. Really, the kind of game that shows why he need, he still needs a lot of work. Which which brings us on to the reason why he's he's staying and, and not not coming back to England.
1: Yeah. So to so this come on to the, the the wider point, and we had the exclusive interview with with Henry in the week in the Times, which I'm sure lots of you listening to this would have read. And then the news later in the week that he is, he is going to be staying at Rassing 92. he's going to sign for two more seasons until 2026, so couldn't won't be able to play for England, won't play in the Six Nations either, which is a, there's been a bit of jiggery pokey around that. He was told he would be eligible, but now basically, they changed their mind, and they said, "Look, you're going to have to sign for an English club by January to be eligible for the Six Nations." Not a lot of that was communicated directly to Arundel until literally like last week. So it's been a tough decision for a young man at twenty-one. I mean, he's a very assured, twenty-one-year-old, but he's had a lot on his plate in his sixth week at racing. Um, but the, one of the massive reasons why he is staying a huge amount of consistent game time, a lot of it in his favourite position at fullback. The thing in the prem, which is just the way the structure of the season works, is you fit in and out quite a lot between a couple of prem games, then a couple of European games, then you're off to England. Then you're released on a Tuesday if you're not in the in the twenty-three for the weekend. You come back, maybe you get a game, maybe you don't. Whereas in the top 14, there's this really consistent run of feeding into the same game plan every week. Also, working with Stuart Lancaster, ironically, staying working with the English coach and not going back to England. The other thing that people have forgotten really about Henry Arundel is that he's hardly played any rugby at all. So, that was his Champions Cup debut. He's never played in that competition before. So, the little I don't know, mistakes he makes or the kicks he puts out on the fall. This is a guy who's played the equivalent of about 20 professional games of rugby. So I think with Arundor, he just saw it as an opportunity to learn a massive amount, have a brilliant experience, learn a language, play with Fiku, Tuasova, Waki, Kalisi. Khaleesi. Why would you not? I just, and I think actually quite a lot of the reaction since we've put out those pieces have, has been fair play to the lads. Well done.
3: I, I think it's a really... Bold and, and strong decision from Henry Arundel. I know he's been convinced, really, by, by the Stuart Lancaster project, both at, at what, what Lancaster is laying out to try and achieve at Racing, but also Lancaster does have a long record of player development. It, it is the area that was his first specialism, if you like, it. Well, he Um, was the
1: guy that put Ford and Farrell together 10-12.
3: He was, yeah. And
1: then the other thing that Arundel mentioned himself was he's seen the way that Hugo Keenan has been developed at Leinster and Ireland and gone, I want a bit of that.
3: Mm. So I think it's a a bold, strong, um, positive decision from Arundel. The way it's received at Twickenham fascinates me because they are desperate. We talked about the premiership desperate for positive news. This reflects badly on... On the state of English rugby, I mean, the RFU are sending Conor O'Shea over to France to to try and understand what it is that the French have done to to create this thriving product, this thriving league that they have. That they must see the reality there. It was pretty clear from the outside. There's a certain disillusionment about his England experience so far. I don't think that doesn't. I don't think that's just the fact he didn't always play. It's more what you know, what the environment is, what the game plan is. I just think that's something that, that England need to look at. They've offered him a central contract. He's chosen not to take it, which I which I think should set alarm bells ringing at Tokenham.
2: But I think as both you and Will have outlined, there's a lot of reasons for Arundel that I think it makes sense and is a good decision for him not to take it. Would it be a very different story if, for example, Maritoje, who's the other player that also being offered this kind of dual contract deal, if he was to go to France, Will, that yeah. would be a, a much bigger indictment on the RFU. Completely.
1: So when we wrote the news that Arundel was going to stay in, in rusting in the, in the introduction, we said it was, it's a blow to the hybrid contract model because him and Marotoji have been the two people who've been offered one only so far. And and the way we understand it is going to work is that the RFU would pay about £150,000 a year and then the clubs would fund the rest. But Atoji's decision is if the hammer blow came with Henry Arundel, then Atoji rejecting it could be the nail in the coffin before it's even started. Because if you then have basically the most significant England player, 70 kappa, who could win 100 plus, deciding to turn that down and turn down playing for England, possibly also turning down a Lions tour, although he could still represent them by being in France, then you sort of think this whole new shiny product that they're they're, they're trying to create and saying, look, this is a brilliant way of keeping everyone at home, has already had two defeats
2: fascinating well we will keep you up to date with it it'll be in the times online as well up next on the pod we'll turn our attention towards pools three and four
0: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states
2: Interpool 3 then, Glasgow 19, Northampton 28, Toulon 18, Exeter 19 and then 17 all between Munster and Bayonne. I saw Peter O'Reilly actually in the Times online saying what a missed opportunity that was for Munster. They had a drop kick at the end which they missed. They were leading in that game. But naturally I think our attention is going to be on the wins for Exeter and for Northampton. I mean that Exeter victory is quite extraordinary. They were behind in that game. Henry Slade then... With a conversion to win it. We spoke earlier in the pod we often start looking ahead too early on in the season to England selection, but for a guy that was left out of the World Cup squad, Henry Slade, his influence on that extra team so far this season has been pretty evident.
1: Yeah, and I think he's got an interesting decision to make in the next six months or even sooner because I think he's out of contract in the summer. It's a dilemma, isn't it? Do you do you do what um, Dave Ewers has gone and go to the URC? Do you do what Jack Knoll's done and Sam Simmons has done and go to France? Do you stick around for your England career that has now, you've had a major rejection for the World Cup? Or do you actually quite enjoy this new project now where you're a senior figure in a team of kids and some others like Jacques Vermeulen and other Ethan Roots and guys like that who are experienced players around you with a coach you, you know, love, and respect? Well, I wonder what he'll do. I, I just love that. I think that's what European Cup rugby always is about, isn't it? Sort of going to those great cathedrals of rugby and. Winning against the odds and stuff like that. That's the, that's the stuff that we've loved over the years. The, the games we watched Barnsley and Miles back in the day commentating on. And I watched Ben Hammersley, who's on the wing, playing in the Bucks final for Exeter a few months earlier. They're doing this sort of stuff against some pretty serious opposition. Barnsley, this must have been one of the 11 games that, that you were able
2: to watch through. Great win. It was compelling.
4: It wasn't a high quality game of rugby in, in many ways. Charles Olivon bestrode it like a titan for about 75 minutes. He kept making all the big plays, and I'm thinking that's the difference. And then right at the end, he's got an old-fashioned Exeter score. And then, as, as Will intimated, we were into the realms of Heineken Cup as opposed to the Investec Champions Cup. And that ball that sort of toppled over and having to restart his run again, I thought, for all the excellent rugby I saw, if you could say to me one moment that you enjoyed more than anything, it was Slade showing nerve in a, in a very hostile ground. Played there a couple of times, and it, you know that's a boo stadium. It certainly is, and it was it was a super kick. and it Was some? Um, uh, I, I was just thinking about that because then I watched. Uh, I, I'd seen Munster as well um, in their seventeen all game, and. Bayon, forgive me, but I can't remember their goal kicker's name. He had a last second kick to draw the game. Bang from the touchline. Uh, Munster, the silence, the respect, he nailed it as well. And I thought, which is the better kick? And in a way, it, it's it's certainly Slade's because he was 15 metres out on the 22 is the kick that you get nine times out of ten but it's the one where you really can miss it. And and, and that is the pressure. If you miss from the touchline, nobody harangues you. If you miss from there to beat Toulon away and you've got all that authority and seniority of Henry Slade, you just feel I've let all my team down. And the fact Slade was able to handle having to reset and kick again, I thought uh, was a remarkable... Um, Show of poise and concentration and mental toughness, which is something that a few people uh, in the England setup have questioned about Slade. I thought that kick answered a lot of questions.
3: It felt like the uh, the Toulon players were right on top of him by the time he struck it. Mm. Maybe it was just the camera angle, but it w- He is a player who's he's always been cool and calm and composed. I've never seen him stress. Alex, he you know, he yeah. makes you know. You, you think back to those days where they would just kick to five metres out and, and drive it for a try. And, and those incredible touch finders he'd put in to within five mm. metres, he he just trusts his skill and doesn't seem ever to be flustered.
2: And for Northampton as well, they're worth more than a mention, really, but we've got so many games to get to. As I say, Glasgow 19, Northampton 28. Another, another result for Northampton that you feel is a little bit more than... The Northampton of old—they've got more to them, don't they,
3: Alex? They've got—they've
2: yeah. got a got driving more They've got a, a gnarlier defence.
3: They, they do, um, and I guess to to extend a, a thread that's been running through this pod of the number of outside centres putting their hand up to Steve Borthwick is is getting longer by the week. I mean, to, Tommy Freeman's been playing there for most of the season, and he was outstanding in this game. I I thought, and you add him to I think Will Joseph is is, is probably a bit behind, but enormous potential. And Ollie Lawrence is playing. Magnificently, and we just discussed it. Henry Slade, Tommy Freeman, and, and the way that he's playing in, in that Northampton team, to to George Furbank and and, and Finn Smith, the way they're attacking. But that it, it's all. I think we discussed the point, all these. You can only do that if you've got the grit up front. If you if you've got the uh, the, the the ferocity and the, and the and the and the the willingness to just get stuck in, and, and you know, and they do have that. I in, in Courtney Laws, they have they have the just the ideal. Player to, to lead that effort because that is him all over.
4: But I can just say, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? We, Freeman, as you say, outstanding. Joseph, he got the better of a bloke called Fiku. That's, <laughs> some, that's yeah. some testimony. Um, Ollie Lawrence, the, the little offload for fucking a singer is, was quite brilliant. And Slade is playing with responsibility. Four blokes who all have a vast amount to give, potentially, at international level. They are picked for England, and England play the way they did in the World Cup. Not one of them will have any impact at all.
2: So the name I thought you were going to mention there, Alex, was actually Finn Smith, because I saw Mark Palmer in his match report said Finn Smith will, will soon have a decision to make between Scotland and England as well, well which is that
3: He's um, already made it once. He was, in, he was... Well, they wanted to take him on tour two years ago, Scotland, mm. uh, when he was at Worcester, and quite blunt terms, he was told there's twenty three grand a game on the table with England if you make it <laughs> and there isn't the same money available for Scotland. The fly half oh, picture is
4: as much rugby. <laughs> he's destroyed it. <laughs> that was
3: yeah, I know I yeah well he so he's he's kept he's kept his options open. I can see absolutely why Scotland would be interested. He'd have to think I'm not going to play ahead of him Russell uh at the moment but then and the England fly half picture is is shifting. Do they see Marcus Smith as a fifteen full time? F- Finn Smith has got a long wait ahead of him because George Ford is is not. You know what is he thirty one? You'd imagine yeah, he no thirty still thirty. He's you know you imagine he will be England's fly half for the Six Nations tough decision for for Finn Smith whoever gets him is quite, a, is quite a hell
2: of a player yeah big decision for him right let's finish off with pool four certainly not leaving the least until last what a pool this is Sale 28 Stade Francais 5 La Rochelle 9 Leinster 16 and Leicester 35 Stormers 26 Will your game
3: Leicester it's a savage pool that, isn't
1: it it is isn't it yeah well they just didn't seed anyone did they because they've got the two finalists from last time they've got the Stormers who and what were second or third in the URC last year you've got the second premiership team in sale. You've got Francais who are a tough mm. team as well. <laughs> it's brutal, isn't it? But yeah, so should we should we do a, a quick précis of the Stormer situation? So they they played uh, Zebra in the URC in, uh, last Saturday with a fair amount of their Springboks and World Cup winners, guys like Damien Villepse, Herschel Yankees, um, Dion Ferry, Manny LeBock, Left them all at home. It's a 16,000-mile round trip in about the space of four days. So they came up to Leicester with a B team. Everyone expected them to get thrashed. And they nearly won the game, which was which was mad.
2: Well, unlucky, really, to not get a bonus Yeah,
1: point. yeah, yeah, they should have done. And it, it sort of exposes the fissures in this tournament, doesn't it? Like, we've had a great weekend of Champions Cup, but the bits that still don't really work are when South African teams come north and European teams go south. Only two South African teams have won in Europe as well. The Sharks beat Bordeaux and Stormers beat London Irish last year. You can understand why John Dobson left all his stars at home. Like Dion Ferry and Manny Bot were parading the World Cup around the Cape Town Sevens while the rest of the team are battling for a bonus point up at Leicester. But it just looks odd. It doesn't work. like, And it's not exclusively a South African problem because, as we've said, Taylor are probably going to send a-, a weekend team to Leinster and Gloucester did it last year and got 57 niled. But you just think there's something wrong here. We need to find a way of restructuring the competition that makes it easier for these South African teams. Although they've had quite a lot in their favour over the last few years, as we've discussed on these pods. Barnsley, I mean, the rea- what
4: do you but the reality is, it's called the European Cup and the South Africans are going to have to find their own way through the problem there. But this tournament needs to look backwards to go forwards. Uh, when it had six pools of four, six winners only from the pool and the best two runners-up, then those were the days when you know Munster would go to Clermont and they'd get a point and then they'd say, we'll do your 4-0 at our place and that'll give us top spot and you'll be maybe in, maybe not. That was when just about every game, except the games against maybe Zebra, uh, were there to be won and fought over. And and until we do that, um, we do have an issue and th- for all the good rugby, they're, they're there's uh, there is a lack of jeopardy there, and a lack of jeopardy hu- hurts the uh, theatre of the game.
1: I think there is some concern in South African quarters that if the, if this consistently doesn't work, South African teams playing in the Champions Cup, they might just get rid of them. But I just can't see how that's possible now. They've they've opened Pandora's box, haven't they? And they've they've let the South Africans in. They can't now suddenly say, "Oh, you're in the URC, but you now can't qualify." So. They've got to come up with a constructive solution, maybe send the South Africans for two weeks on tours like they do in the RC, as ever. comes back to the global calendar that never ever quite works. And we're hoping to get John Dobson, the Stormers' head coach, on the pod
2: next week, and it'll be interesting to speak to him. We had him on pretty much a year ago, actually. We had him on before the first round of fixtures in the Champions Cup last season. So it would be interested just to see, because he spoke in that interview about the challenges they face in terms of travel, where the Champions Cup sits in terms of, the opinion in South Africa of the fans of the teams, whether that's developed at all. But So Leicester with the victory at home. La Rochelle, Leinster, probably on paper ahead of the weekend, the pick of the games, it ended up being an absolute arm wrestle and Leinster gets some sort of semblance of revenge, Alex, for yeah. the final last year. I was
3: really keen to go to that game, really, because we <clears throat> got the, the, the two teams from the last two finals launching their campaigns against each other. Um, yeah, it was an arm wrestle. I'm really... I don't have the answer, but I'm fascinated by what's happening at La Rochelle because they've been double European champions. Um They made the final of the top 14 last season. They've got a losing record in the league this season and, and now they've they've started Europe, uh, started the Champions Cup with a home defeat by Leinster. that It just doesn't feel like it, things are, are clicking in the way that they, they have done in the past. They've, they've flown so high. I don't have the answer. I've the- not seen them play, but... So it's it's interesting to me. The thing that I found
2: interesting watching the Lens game, and I don't know if Will or Barnsley would agree with this, was was more, and they referenced it in comms on TNT actually. But the the lack of discipline almost from Shell like they seemed rattled, they were getting frustrated with decisions going against them. I don't know. It felt to me at least like a team that almost mentally wasn't in the
1: right frame of mind. Is there I... something? But ba- you can tell us about this, Barnsley, because you've actually played the game and we haven't, but. You, your Bath team went, went and won lots of trophies consistently and that's what La Rochelle are trying to do. They've gone back-to-back in Europe and Rona Gara there has talked about building a dynasty <coughs> like the Manchester United football team and, and all that. And you think, to ha- having gone to such emotional peaks and had those two incredible mm-hmm. Champions Cup wins, to keep backing it up year after year and with the same coach and the same messaging and, and maybe quite an emotional story that he's telling to them, that's built from the experiences he had at Munster and all that. Clearly, there's tactical stuff in there too. But when does that start to run out in your experience, Brandy?
4: So I, I think uh, we did the League and Cup double in Bath three times in my decade or so there. And not once after a double did we find it easy to play any to perform anywhere near our best. And I think it's a long time ago, but it's the same issue there. There's a psychological one. There's this, and we had this, O'Gara-esque sort of determination to win and prove people wrong, though no one was saying anything bad about us. But it's, you know, it's it's the Jake White thing that we were saying about Ville de Rue will prove them wrong. You do that in the changing room. But when, when you have won the, the, the league and the cup or the European and the domestic, then it gets harder and harder. When you've won something as gigantic that I can only conceive of as two European cups... To say right, we 're bang up for the third becomes a major psychological issue, so how do you how, how do you keep your team going? you can't say people are writing us off anymore because no one writes La Rochelle off, but you can say, and I think this was interesting i don 't think there was a lack of discipline from their players. I think Ronan O'gara is a brilliant coach, I think they're scribbling this, so you two keep out of this till Friday, but I think if you look at the amount of time. Ronan has been in trouble with the authorities in France for arguing with officials and referees. It's striking. It's headline stuff. Now, that is translating onto the pitch. And I thought Matthew Carley uh, was outstanding in that he said, I think, to Kevin Bougery once, I might have missed it. I'm, f- I'm human, I'm flawed, but I don't want you telling me. we make mis- We all make mistakes. And we had... La Rochelle were yabbering at the referee non-stop trying to get decisions. I thought it was I thought it was the most interesting thing in the whole weekend of the tournament because it's the nearest I have seen to a Premier League football game being played out under high pressure stakes in rugby union. It we were we were inches away from ten players uh surrounding the referee and shouting at him and Carly handled himself very well but I, th- I think that that was O'Gara tactically trying to get his team to see another way of doing things and I think also it was a moment when we tiptoed towards Premier League football where the power of players is so strong. I, I thought five years from now I might if I'm <laughs> we're still alive, we're still broadcasting (laughs) and we might be saying on a pod do you remember that La Rochelle game against Leinster that was the game when the players stopped showing the referee any respect and tried to win the game by uh, psychological pressure I thought it was fascinating
2: So the final game just in in pool four to round it all off, Sale 28 Stade Francais 5, good win for Sale and Because of what we've touched upon already with four teams from a pool of six going through, you you think that they probably won't have to do too much more necessarily to qualify. You wonder whether if the rules are different and if there are less teams going through, not getting a bonus point could come back to bite them. But again, Sale bounce back, Will, after a disappointing defeat in the Premiership. Yeah, our our
1: headline was Manu Tuolangi gets his Malbec, um, which was fun. (laughs) Alex Anderson had promised him if he showed the same energy as George Ford does around the field, then he'd get him a bottle of wine and... He was absolutely smashing people, wasn't he? Yeah. He had a. I don't know how queasy everyone is listening to this, but I might not go into the full detail of it. But he had a really bad break of his hand, where essentially one his middle knuckle went underneath the left hand one on his right hand in the Samoa game at the World Cup, Manu. So he, that's why he's been injured for a few weeks after the World Cup. But he came back and he was smashing people, and timely because he has a contract negotiation coming up. <laughs> it always happens, isn't it? <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, hopefully we've done justice to the
2: weekend of Champions Cup rugby. I mean, with eight teams from England in it, it's all a little bit unwieldy in a way. But we've tried to round off the, the key points there for you. Next up, we'll we'll finish off the show with a few bits for any other business. And also we'll name our God or Goddess of the Week. So Women's World Cup 2025 in England, the fixtures announced on Monday Probably the, the headline, really, Alex, the opener played at the Stadium of Light 22nd of August, moving it around the country. The final, obviously, at Twickenham, and they're going to be aiming for what they hope will be a, a record crowd at the final, selling out Twickenham. I quite like how the Red Roses games tour around the country a little bit more, and it makes sense for a lot of reasons for them to have opener up in North.
3: I agree. and It's fantastic for the Red Roses, and, and we would love it if, if the men's team could do the same, the, the finances at Twickenham are if you won't, won't allow it but to open the the tournament at the stadium of light which is what 40 45 50,000 seat stadium is incredibly ambitious that they, they they when they got the tournament they basically promised to sell out for the final at Twickenham which i think looks like a very realistic prospect but to to launch it with a 40 50,000 crowd in sunderland would, would would be would be brilliant for the sport and and at the time it would be on the back of a of a lions tour going into the Women's World Cup at home I think it's got a prospect of being just a superb event and to launch it in that way uh, will be will be great.
2: No club in the Premiership women's rugby further north than Sale as well so deliberate push by the RFU of trying to get rugby up into
1: the north of England. Yeah they've got Sunderland, York Manchester up north there. It's quite a nice spread of ground actually because then in the Midlands, Northampton, Twickenham obviously, Bristol, Ashton Gate, Brighton and Hove Albion and then Exeter. So wherever you are you're not that far from a a
3: women's World Cup game should be awesome. There's some big grounds there: Brighton, Ashton Gate, Stadium. I mean, it's right not that there.
4: it's not that different, is it, from the, the, the men's World Cup that we've just seen? Mm. Uh, in the uh, areas like Lille and Nantes, which are, are not strongholds, got big games and lots of games. F- France will play play games in Marseille and Lyon. In fact, they, no, did they, they did they play in Lille? They did. France, ship yeah, play Lille, Uruguay
1: France. in Lille, yeah.
4: Yeah, they they did shift around, and, and uh, the men may not do that, but I think it's uh, formative stages still of the women's game, and it's absolutely right that they should be going to places like Sunderland. And the other thing is, it, it you know it's right that people in the north and in the southwest, in the Midlands, get an opportunity to see rugby without having to travel huge distances. I'm delighted for Sunderland.
3: When you think of the last time that England hosted the Women's World Cup. All the, ma- all the pool matches were played at um, Surrey, Surrey Sports, Sports Park, Park. Where Quinn's trained. Where Quinn's train. and <laughs> the then, University ground, And yeah. then the, the semis and the final were at the Stoop. Yeah. And now we're talking about the Amazing. opening game being at the Stadium of Light. Amazing. Pool matches at Ashton Gate, yeah. Brighton, Hove Albion. It was uh, only 2010, final wasn't it, that yeah. tournament? it's so Not yeah. long
1: ago. That's, that's a great effort, yeah.
3: Cracking stuff. Well, we'll finish off the pod.
2: Another busy one with God or Goddess of the Week. Anyone... Want to
3: volunteer to go first? I'm going to pick Benno Urbano. I think he was outstanding for Bath, and there's a, we've eulogised about their their backline, the Spencers, the Finn Russells, the Ollie Lawrences. But you know that that win was possible because of what the guys up front did. And Benno is a great character, and he's actually he's he's a great bloke who's had a rotten run of luck injury wise. He'd have had more caps for England than than he does and characters like him are brilliant for the sport, and when he plays the way he did, uh, he puts himself in that England conversation, but he's just doing great things for Bath and, and loving life, so he gets my... Did you hear the interview afterwards? Yeah.
1: yeah. They were wearing yeah. the red kit, and he was like, oh, we're wearing red, I'm feeling dangerous. This is great. Love it. It was Love awesome. It. I, I, my honourable mention, which I know we haven't done anything on the Challenge Cup, but my little mention there is going to be to the Black Lion of Georgia, yeah. Tbilisi. They so Gloucester didn't take a terrible team out there I think Johnny May went and others That few fans as well yeah, that went out to watch 15-10 well. Gloucester won but that's quite cool there's, there's some tourism partnership that EPCR have signed with the Georgians but we're very very assured there's never going to be a final over that way and anything like that but quite fun to see them involved so honourable mention there um, and then I think I'm probably going to go Exeter I know I went Rob Bax the other week but I think uh, we mentioned Henry Slade earlier for his cojones to kick, kick that goal but I just quite like the work of the unseen stuff that someone like Jacques Vermeulen gets through he scored that try but he was also pretty dominant around the field and played against Olivon, which is no <laughs> no easy task so him as the representative of that great Exeter win in Toulon goes down in the annals and he can be the god of the week for me Barnsey. Oh, I've had enough of
4: us fated in the English clubs. I'm going French. We barely mentioned Bordeaux. Now, people thought, will they, won't they win it? They didn't just win, they demolished them. And they played the most poetic rugby of the entire weekend. They they played beautifully. And why this has heft is because Bordeaux are one of those French teams who are so goddamn boring when they come to Europe and knock out stages in their own domestic tournament. They have signed, doubtless for a lot of money, uh, the great French wing, Damien Peno, and he is one of these transformative characters. He goes there, he shrugs his shoulders, give me the ball, I'll score. He pops up all over the place and, and you end up with just as at Bath, when Russell's chucking it around, people lose their inhibitions, and you see props like Boniface handling gloriously and and through it all is Damien Penno scoring tries, weaving spells, playing beautiful rugby, so Penno, such a great player in the World Cup, such a pity that he was knocked out at the quarter final. He is my god of the week for round one. Good shout
2: good shout i want to mention uh, as well trail finders who beat leicester 36 7 in premiership women's rugby for their first win there were wins for bristol and for exeter as well over the weekend but my god of the week goes to a friend a colleague of ours in rugby media russ hargreaves who oh, cool. sadly passed away uh, recently many of you would have seen this i knew russ very very well from working with him at TalkSport. Any of our listeners here who have listened to TalkSport's coverage of international rugby over the last few years would have heard Russ covering Ireland. He was a big Harlequins fan as well. One of the best commentary clips you'll hear of him was when Harlequins won the Premiership final, the Lewis Liner scoring in the corner, which I remember speaking to him after about, actually. He was worried about not being impartial enough because he was struggling to contain his excitement. But Russ taken far too young Recently, it's been heartwarming seeing England and the RFU premiership clubs. Our colleagues in the media, I know Will and Alex, you'd have known him as well because he was often mm. on England media duty for talk sports. So, to Russ, to his family, uh, our thoughts and all our love are with them. Okay, this has been the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. We'll be back next week. Another round of Champions Cup action to review. Make sure you follow, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Will, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you. Thanks. Uh,
3: I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> he's
2: just going on. Thanks to that for hosting now. it so
3: professionally. <laughs>
0: well
3: done, and Pansy, good to have you. We Thank don't get you.
1: to create the, the, uh, credit the great Alfie Reynolds, the producer, anymore because he's on it. Yeah, yeah. On yeah. It. we've lost our way. To of off. He, he's taken over
4: now. To hell with him. No credit.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite right. We'll see you all next
2: week. Thanks for listening.